Akshay, did you always knew what you wanted to do when you passed out from MBA? I was all over the place. Uh, Saurabh, what about you? Yeah, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any idea. Confused about your career choices? Wondering what steps to take next? In this podcast called Beyond Campus, Saurabh Garg, founder of C4E, and Akshay Dutt, founder of Unnati, are on a mission to crack open the career success code for the youth. So, let's turn the dream into reality. Everyone talks about building products and services for Bharat, but very few actually manage to build scalable products for Bharat. One of the rare exceptions in the field littered with dead bodies to aspiring unicorns is a startup called Mayupchar. Rajat Garg and Dr. Manoj Garg, who are the co-founders of Mayupchar, have a lot in common. Both are Gargs, both studied at Stanford, worked in the best companies in the US, both were bitten by the Swadesh bug and came back to India to become entrepreneurs. In this fascinating episode of Beyond Campus, Akshay Dutt talks to both of them to understand how the idea of Mayupchar, a medical app for Bharat, evolved and scaled up. Did your parents have the means to pay for a Stanford education? So, uh, actually, no. So, my father uh, was working at BSF um, at, at that particular point of time. So, you know, and Stanford required to show 60, 70 lakhs worth of cash or liquid asset available with you. So, I, my, my mamaji actually mortgaged his house. Um, and that uh, gave us uh, enough funds to show to the Stanford University that yes, we can pay the education fees. Um, and that allowed me to get in there. And once I was there, I did my level best to get the RA. So within first quarter, we, I was able to get an RA that after that kind of funded the entire education. Uh, so luckily we didn't have to draw down on the entire loan. Um, but uh, yeah, initially we had uh, that problem. It was actually a pretty big deal because it's not a small amount, right? So think of uh, early 2000, uh, 60, 70 lakhs was like your entire life worth and then more. Um, so it was a pretty big amount. And uh, uh, luckily, you know, all of them came together. They said, okay, no, this is he's the first person of our family going outside for education. So we need to support him. And luckily that worked out in my favor. Okay. So is Stanford where you met uh, Manoj? Uh, yes. Manoj also. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so Manoj, how did you land up in Stanford? What was your journey like? Um, fairly similar. I think we were both, you know, all of us are products of our times. So when I was um, in college, so I went to St. Stephen's for undergrad. I was studying maths. Um, whether it was the college environment or uh, my family. So my parents are both professors. Uh, I have an elder brother and a younger brother. Uh, elder brother was also... Um, you know, studying in Delhi University, he was, he's just only two years older. So um, there was always this thing that, you know, I want to study in a quote-unquote real education system, higher education system, because the experience in Delhi University, uh, as good as St. Stephen's was, it's still a far cry from uh, what one would imagine uh, a proper education system to be, right? That's just So that was just something at the back of my mind, maybe because I come from an academic family. 
So when I was in undergrad, so Stevens, I applied uh, to Oxbridge, which was very standard at my college. And I got through to Cambridge. Actually, sorry, I didn't apply to Oxford. I just applied to Cambridge. I got through and then I didn't apply to Oxford because I got Cambridge. Uh, but the amount of money that would have that it would have taken to go there was just not affordable for my family. And while my parents uh, offered to mortgage the small house that we lived in, I like that was just not something I I would go with. Right. So, um, and there were hardly any scholarships to go around. Maybe just two across like all of India for anybody going to study uh, abroad. So for, for the things that I qualified for. So I didn't get the scholarship. And uh, of course, like I didn't want my family to pay for it. And there was the third option of taking a loan on my head. But I, I've just like grown up in an, in an environment where uh, despite my economics education, and I know loans serve a financial purpose and everything, the psychological aspect of being in debt and that much debt at that age just didn't like make sense to me. So I didn't want to take a loan on my own. So I didn't. I didn't end up going to Cambridge. So, you know, it, it kind of stayed somewhere in my mind uh, that, you know, I have to kind of go. And, you know, as uh, human behavior goes, the things that you can't get are the things you want the most. Right. So uh, so then I went to uh, Delhi School of Economics. Uh, I switched from maths to economics because it just seemed like the things that I was intellectually interested in uh, could be better studied and answered by economics than mathematics. Um, and again, D school has a very rich history of uh, people going down the academic path and studying and teaching at some of the best institutions in the world and contributing a lot uh, to the study of economics. So uh, as it happened, I, I while I was there, my I you know I did well, and my professors encouraged me to uh, go for a PhD. That wasn't really part of the plan when I went to D school, but uh, and it kind of tied in with that whole you know idea of. Uh, so I applied, I got through to a bunch of places uh, and I chose Stanford out of them. Uh, there were quite a few schools that were offering it just seemed for what I wanted to study. Stanford was a good place. Uh, that just the, And the difference and that affordability question was still there, right? I can't afford to pay for a five-year education, let alone a two-year thing. And uh, I couldn't afford a two-year uh, education at Cambridge. How could I like pay for five-year education? But thankfully, Stanford and most uh, economics top economics programs support their students with uh, fellowships, scholarships, TA-ships, RA-ships. That's taken care of before you go there. Um, so that's the difference between Rajat's experience and mine, where I knew I had a two-year fellowship before I went in, and there was a guaranteed teaching assistant or research assistant position, which should pay for the rest of the education. So I uh, landed up there uh, and yeah, it was like Rajat said, it was like an amazing experience. It doesn't matter like, you know, which department you're in, you just see these amazing people. So my, one of my advisors just got the Nobel prize this year. Um, yes, that's the kind of place that, you know, it is. Um, yeah. So quite, quite wonderful. So how did the two of you connect? Was it like the Desi factor? Like a little bit, but also my roommate uh, there, uh, who was a friend from school since we were thir- uh, in class three. So basically a childhood friend and Rajat are related. So he and Rajat were roommates the prior year. So Rajat had gone to Stanford one year before me. Uh, so uh, Ankit, who was my roommate and 
uh, his roommate prior to that, he was the common connection, how we got to know each other. And uh, funny story, Ankit, who's obviously my age because we were classmates in school, and Rajat are also related, except that uh, Rajat is uh, Mr. Mama and he's Bhanja. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so two years apart, they're Mama and Bhanja. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, uh, Raj- then, Rajat, uh, what next after Stanford? Like, did you uh, form like a very, very strong bond with Manoj that it remained tight throughout, or was it like something which grew over the years? Uh, I, I think it kind of grew over the years. Of course, you know, uh, we kept hanging out um, at different school uh, college parties and all. Uh, but I don't think we were thinking of or we were imagining that we'll start a company together uh, a decade down the line. At least that was not the uh, thought process at that time. Uh, so I actually had it on, down on my way. So after Stanford, I joined uh, Amazon. Um, it was a pretty eye-opening experience about how technology actually gets used at a very, very scalable way to solve customer problems. Um, uh, you know, you don't get to see the impact of technology uh, in many, many organizations. Mostly you are rehashing what somebody else has done, uh, you know, 10 years back. Uh, but here you are kind of rethinking, re- reimagining every particular aspect of the business using technology and at a scale that was like unseen of, unheard of before. Uh, so I spent uh, a few years there, then um, one of the senior VPs uh, at Amazon left and uh, started his company. And he uh, basically was looking for people to head uh, online marketing. So uh, I joined the organization to initially head the online marketing for uh, Datasphere. And what does Datasphere do? Like, what were you marketing? Yeah. so. Datasphere had a bunch of websites initially uh, where, uh, you know, basically real estate listings websites. Uh, But the focus was more from a perspective of uh, second home management perspective. Uh, So we had a website called uh, Landwatch, which was around selling land parcels, large land parcels, and people will buy them for making a ranch or go hunting and stuff like that. And then there was another for resorts and another for new constructions, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it was uh, there, you know, when when I joined, the traffic was in low uh, tens of thousands of visitors a month. Uh, Two years down the line, we were the largest uh, real estate listing website uh, in land space and in resort space. Um, and doing two, three million per month uh, uh, on both the sites. Um, and uh, later, you know, uh, the company uh, kind of uh, outgrew its initial ambitions, and we basically started doing uh, started doing two different things. And uh, one of the division was real estate division, and that was more focused on the new media uh, business. And I was then the general manager of the uh, real estate business overall uh, to grow that. So there I spent a total of four years. Uh, Which city was this? This is Seattle, uh, rainy Seattle. 
uh, and uh, then 2011, early 2011, uh, I was just at a point of time in life where I had spent around uh, eight, nine years in US. Um, and uh, uh, I was also contemplating building something of my own, doing some startup of my own. Um, and uh, I came to a conclusion that uh, if I need to start something of my own, India is probably a better bet to live in because in either case, you can build any global product uh, sitting from anywhere. Um, and uh, if I and I wasn't able to see myself settling in US forever. Um, and it was a point of time in life that I had to make a decision whether to uh, you know, settle in U.S. forever or just come back. I moved back to India in 2011, started a company called uh, Social Apps HQ, which was basically into building uh, Facebook apps uh, that companies can use for running their own marketing campaigns uh, on Facebook. And at that time, a lot of companies were running campaigns to increase their likes, increase their fans, and figuring out ways to engage um, and uh, sell to their fan base. Um, so give me an example of what you developed, like a app you developed. Yeah, so basically um, there was a small e-commerce store, right? Right. So Vin Diesel uh, put a Facebook, uh, on his Facebook page, put a uh, store showcasing uh, some of his uh, awesome products, right? Some of his uh, fan-related uh, fan products. Um, there, there was a, a cycling contest, so a cycling group. So they will post uh, pictures of all the events that they will go to and uh, upcom- details about upcoming events where people can sign up. Um, then there were, uh, there were schools who were using our app for hottest girl contest. And, you know, people will uh, uh, bid, uh, nominate some girl or some guy in the school and then the rest of the school will vote uh, and uh, rank someone on the top. And they will, you'll see a lot of activity in that 20, 30 day period um, uh, on the app. Um, so bunch of things like that, that will, you know, increase engagement, uh, uh, increase uh, uh, traffic, uh, uh, reach, recall of the brands with their fans. Is this something that still happens, building apps for Facebook? Like, I've not heard much of it. In uh, not anymore. Market. So uh, bit around uh, 2015, 16, uh, Facebook kind of deprioritized apps within Facebook pages. Um, so that kind of killed the entire ecosystem about uh, building these apps. So. Um, um, and our business was uh, fairly dependent on Facebook. Um, so we uh, also then uh, uh, decided to sell that off. Um, and after selling that business, we basically, I started this e-commerce marketplace called Shimply. So uh, when you sold that, like, uh, I, you know, I just want to understand how a business gets sold. Like, uh, how do you value a business like that? Like, is it a multiple of revenue or, or what is it like? Yeah, it de- depends on a number of things, right? So if the if revenue is growing, you get a higher multiple. If uh, you are on a, uh, in a market where uh, you are dependent on another company and then uh, 
suddenly the company pulls the carpet under you, then it gets valued very differently. So the way uh, we got sold uh, were basically uh, for the asset and database that we had built because you know 1.5 1.6 million businesses had signed up to use our apps um, so a company in us was interested in procuring that data um, so it was more of an asset sale versus a multiplier of revenue sale okay 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 are you at liberty to tell us how much it got sold for uh, so it was always under nda so we never revealed the name of uh, the company who bought it and the money for which it bought but it was decent enough to you know try attempting uh, a e-commerce portal on our own um, and of course uh, you know the uh, the joke goes about uh, e-commerce and airlines that if you take a if you want to become a millionaire millionaire take a billionaire start an airline and you land up uh, with a millionaire and if you want to, you know, become a garipati, uh, <laughs> then you start with a karodpati and start a e-commerce business, and then you become a garipati. And then, and then, and then along the way, don't take funding that's being offered. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, good uh, good things happen. So you know, we started this e-commerce portal simply, uh, and we were selling authentic Indian products. So uh, year down the line, we converted the it's site like, into uh, Etsy, the US man. Like... Yeah, yeah, kind of Etsy or Craftsvilla at that time in India. Um, so we uh, a year down the line, we converted the site into Hindi. And suddenly Ayurveda became like, you know, 50% of our sales. Um, so Manoj and I, Manoj had also returned uh, to India and he was trying hands at different things. So we started discussing this phenomena and we, you know, kept trying uh, at simply different things uh, for an year. And uh, in December 2016, we Manoj and I discussed, we said, yeah, there's something serious here because um, whatever content we created was getting a lot of traffic uh, from the Hindi world. Uh, sales were al- already there. So we decided to uh, launch Mayukchar um, and shut down the previous entity. So that's how we came about launching Mayukchar. And what was this Jalepe Namak Chedaknewala comment that Manoj made of? <laughs> Yeah, we got a funding offer uh, from a uh, renowned angel investor who was ready to invest all of the, was ready to get the seed fund arranged and all that of crore, crore, crore and a half. And we were for simply or my upcharge? For simply. And we were like, evaluation thodi kam hai. So, right. And I think, uh, to be fair, he was offering the right valuation. Uh, it was just that our expectation was not right at the time. Um, and uh, so we didn't take that funding and of course uh, ended up burning uh, quite a lot of money from our from my own pocket, like literally uh, burning through my entire 401k, all my cash reserves, everything. Uh, and uh, so it just, uh, um, and then uh, during the journey, Craftsvilla raised quite a bit of money. So suddenly, 
uh, all the investors who were kind of showing interest kind of went uh, on went away overnight and they were like yeah space map your investment uh, that happened. So uh, when my uh, when we started my Upchar, we were fairly, um, you know, our heads were fairly, we were fairly level-headed by that time. That valuation How did your wife take this? Like you burning through your savings and all. Like does she work or? Uh... Yeah, she uh, she's a doctor. Uh, Thankfully, um, she kept advising me uh, not to do this and not to do that. Uh, what about job and all? But at the same time, she kept funding the household expenses. So <laughs> that kind of helped out because uh, for a few years, uh, I wasn't able to contribute. So she was a big support during that time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Same for me also. Like for almost first six, seven years of our marriage, my wife was running our household. So I mean, without the women in our lives, I think. Uh, so Maraj, tell me about uh, your journey. Like you spent uh, a good six years in Stanford and how was how was that experience like? And So I mean, it was probably, you know, they say college is the best time of your life. I I mean, as good as college was, from, I mean, I say college, I mean, undergrad, for me, probably Stanford was even better. Um, just, you know, the kind of, I mean, if for nothing else, just the kind of people who were around you, uh, your peer group, your uh, colleagues, the professors, uh, not just your department, but others, like to give you an example, uh, one of the advanced classes that we did, and I could do the advanced classes because I had a maths background, I'd already done a master's in economics in these schools, so I was uh, much better prepared than most others uh, for the PhD program, and I could do the advanced classes much sooner than others could. Uh, there was there was this seventeen year old kid sitting there, and uh, you know, just in one of the conversations with the professor, uh, I was like, "So, how how does this like seventeen year old kid manage this class?" He goes, "Well, that seventeen year old kid is a professor in the maths department." Uh, <laughs> so you know, that was the kind of place uh, that it was. So. It was like intellectually was very, very fulfilling, you know, so like anything that I dreamt of would be, could be, uh, could be achieved or any, any sort of like uh, arc that you have to sit and think and imagine how the world could be that kind of, you know, that was, that was a place to do that. Uh, but it just so turned out that the whole process of research wasn't, uh, you know, something that I could sort of do for the rest of my life because it's a very slow long process uh, i i need to see results a lot faster a lot sooner uh, i you know and, and i think the reason part of the reason why i switched from maths to economics was because i wanted to be doing something which was closer to the quote unquote real world uh, so maths the maths that i was mathematics that i was doing was largely abstract maths right so think of uh, random constructs that you've made up in your head and then you go and you say you know this construct then it's beautiful because then you can do this extra thing and it has this shape and that this so you know it's it's great if you get lost in that world but if you pull out and you say look i want to live in the real world then it doesn't work for you so i kind of went to economics and then it turns out mathematicians had kind of taken over economics also uh, which is why uh, economics they welcome uh, people with a maths or a technical background so that again kind of just became very very abstract 
uh, and research in any case is a little slow, right? So there's a huge lag. So there is important work that happens. Don't get me wrong. It just takes a long time to sort of uh, come to fruition, right? Um, so I needed to be a little bit closer to the real world. So um, I went into uh, management consulting while at the, after Stanford. So uh, a little bit of it was seeking more of the real world. A little bit of it was I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. Um, so management consulting is a like a simple place to sort of hide from who you really are, while you or you know or or kind of just like park yourself while you figure out who you really are. Um, and make a lot of money. Sorry. And and also make money. And also make money. Uh, yes, that that didn't hurt. Look, I was like twenty eight, twenty nine. I'd been on a student stipend the whole time, so I didn't mind not being poor for a little while, for that little short while. Uh, but funnily enough, you know, even when I did, I was making whatever uh, management consulting salary was. I was still largely living like a student. So, like my friends who would observe me was like, you know, that grad student life has been ingrained in you. So, as a graduate student, you're perennially short of money, and uh, I was still living like that. Uh, it, it, I had to like win. I, somebody had to yank me out of it and say, "Look, you're not a grad student anymore. You can live a little." <laughs> so. Uh, that was that was quite funny when I realized how yeah, my habits change anyway. And pay his bills. Sorry. And pay his bills. And pay his bills, right? <laughs> uh, so, about management consulting, you know, so uh, I I kind of uh, I ended up spending. I was lucky to get spend most of my time uh, at the Gates Foundation. So the Gates Foundation was a client for BCG uh, in Seattle. Um, so. It, Rajat, were you there in 2011-12 in Seattle? I, I was, I left in 2011. Okay, so I, I landed up in Seattle in 2011. Uh, and like Rajat said, you know, so, that like two, so the standard joke about Seattle used to be, there are two colors, gray and dark gray. It's always freaking cloudy, right? So uh, anyways, I was like, it didn't really bother because we office in the office, right? So work from uh, daybreak to uh, the time you sleep. So it didn't really bother me that much. Um, so, but it was very, so very what fulfilling. Were you doing at Sorry, go ahead. Gates Foundation. What were you doing at Gates Foundation? Yeah, so it was a, a project on uh, figuring out how you can deliver healthcare to the bottom half of the pyramid in South Asia through private uh, healthcare providers. So the thesis is, you know, typically the thesis, if you think about healthcare uh, for the bottom half of the pyramid is that the ability to pay is pretty low. So how, so to provide them high quality healthcare, which typically will end up being expensive, uh, the public sector has to come in. No private sector, there isn't a model within the private sector that can provide you the kind of facilities that, uh, that you would provide at uh, in a tier one city or in a in a modern western society where the ability to pay is quite high or if you can afford insurance insurance coverage doesn't exist right uh, at least not back then 2011 now the government has been doing a few things uh, the success can be debated but whatever like it still doesn't cover uh, you know you still can't go to the highest end hospital and uh, get yourself a bed there with that insurance so uh, so the question was is there a model where you can, uh, where a private player can actually provide good healthcare 
and scale it up in a sustainable way right so which is funny enough the exact same problem we are trying to solve now so uh, while at the foundation so they were we were evaluating 16 or 17 different models from all over the world uh, and uh, at that time most of them the only ones that kind of worked were where technology was involved there was others just didn't work um, because like how do you so it, let's say the context of india right uh, probably 70 to 80 percent of medical staff and infrastructure is concentrated in 10 cities in the 10 top 10 cities right so how are you going to take healthcare to the rest of the 95 percent of the population right that's the that's a question so the people won't go so let's say the government comes in and someday says i will spend a whole lot of money and build up all that infrastructure hospitals this that which is actually not going to happen uh, because it takes a lot of money and we don't have that um but even then where are you going to bring the staff from right uh, so we don't train enough doctors we don't train enough paramedical staff we don't we just we just don't train enough people right which is the saddest thing like we have so many people in this country but we are not training them which is just you know mind it's it's just stupid uh, and whoever does become a doctor or a paramedical staff a because where you know because of the concentration of other uh, of the rest of the healthcare infrastructure and also because of the opportunities for themselves and their families they will end up in those bigger cities right so uh, right so that's where we think uh, we thought that technology would actually play a part and you know it kind of for me it comes around in a full circle where we were looking very very hard at all these models in 2011 12 uh, sitting in seattle uh, but we didn't really find anything satisfactory. There were things, you know, you can do micro solutions, but it's very, very hard to, we didn't find anything that scaled to cover an entire country like India, right? Which is uh, when Rajat actually uh, pointed, uh, came to me and said, uh, do you want, let's discuss this, phenomenon so that, you know, that whole Ayurveda, Hindi Ayurveda section getting a lot of traffic. It kind of like, you know, uh, like a light bulb kind of went off and it was like, Are wah, ye to pehle, ye to socha tha, kuch interesting hai. Kya hai. let's double click. And it kind of came together. So uh, though uh, in between your uh, stint with uh, BCG, where you were with Gates Foundation and starting my Char, uh, they, uh, like what were you doing in that uh, period, like a uh, uh, four year period in between? Yeah, so um, so after uh, a year and a half at BCG, I kind of decided I wanted to come back to India. Uh, I'd spent you know eight or nine years by that time in the US, and uh, I w- wasn't married. And um, as we have astutely observed in this conversation already, it's easier to move around the world uh, when you're single and you don't have uh, other responsibilities. Um, so I figured I, I can, so my parents were here, uh, both my brothers were also in the U S at the same time. Um, and they were in fields which would not really lend themselves well to coming back to India. So my elder brother was and is an academic. So, you know, academia in India and the U S is very, very different. And my younger brother, was yeah, in, yeah, yeah. yeah, my younger brother was in finance. So the kind of opportunities you have in finance in the US or London or, uh, you know, other places are way better than uh, what at least at that time you had in India. And, and especially without a CA qualification, uh, getting a well-paying job in India would have been very tough. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he was, my my younger brother was, uh, did his MBA at Wharton. So, uh, he was also at BCG, an IIT graduate. So, for him, the opportunities weren't that much difference. I'm, I'm talking about like the relative difference in the opportunity and how lucrative the opportunity would be if you were working in London versus in India, right? So, it it didn't seem like either of those, either of them would... Uh, it would make professional sense for them to come back to India. Uh, so, uh, and you know, I was a management consultant. You can, you're basically a generalist at that point, uh, even though you have, you've spent six years uh, becoming an economist, in my case, well, eight years. Um, but last two years, you've been a generalist, so you can be a generalist anywhere. Uh, and so I decided, so it was a purely emotional decision to come back. Uh, and I did. Uh, and after I came back, I just spent, you know, a few months just sort of uh, looking around, understanding what's going on, because uh, truth be told, I hadn't followed at all what was going on in India. You just hear these stories, you know, that was a time in India, everything like the economy was booming, stuff was going crazy, the whole world was, you know, India was going to become this promised land. Um, so I'd only just like heard of those stories from friends, family, but I hadn't actually looked at any data myself, uh, even though I was an economist, but I was, do I was doing abstract uh, economic theory, not like the real world macro data kind of uh, economics. So I spent some time looking around, seeing what's happening. It was actually really, really exciting. Uh, startups were happening left, right and center. Um, so that, that and, you know, living in the Bay Area, uh, you do get bitten by that bug. Someday uh, you want to do something of your own. So uh, before that, I decided, you know, I'll, I'll actually, uh, I've never, mind you, I was not, what, 29, 30 by this point, And I'd never worked in India. Right. Uh, so I figured I should at least, you know, spend some time working in India. And I uh, went uh, to work with uh, this group called Dalmia Bharat group uh, in there um, for, for as an EA to the MD. And uh, we agreed that I should spend some time in their cement business because I was the biggest business. And for me also, it was just like super exciting. I thought I'll get to see real India, which I did. So I spent like a good six to eight months in Chennai and traveling around all over South India and seeing how sales are done, what kind of, you know, how business is done in Bharat. Um, so South India pura ghumata achche se. So it was kind of cool. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, that isn't where my heart lied. It was for me just a way to get, uh, you know, experience of real India. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, just who was just about graduating from NCAD, uh, so this is a friend from D school. Uh, he and I started talking about doing something of our own. Uh, he wasn't like uh, he'd been thinking about it for a while and whatnot. So we started a small venture. Uh, the idea was to build a ad exchange for offline ads. So think of the world of ads except for online. So you know your newspaper, your pamphlets, your uh, hoardings, uh, what's called outdoors, advertising. So can there be like a single platform that kind of aggregates it all? Right. That's kind of what we were trying to build. Uh, we had, um, so uh, ultimately the place where we ended up, so neither he nor I were technical people. Uh, we, in our foolishness at that point, didn't realize that it would have been better to start with a tech product and then build businesses we thought we let's first prove it in a single vertical where we can aggregate ads for a single medium offline medium and then we can build a product and auction ads and do all of that stuff 
बट वो चला नहीं मतलब ठीक ठाक था बी ऑल्सो प्रिटी मच हैड नॉफर फॉर गुड सीरीज ए काइंड ऑफ अ फंडिंग वीट पोट इन माई फ्रेंड एंड आई हैड पोट इन फेयर अमाउंट ऑफ मनी इन टू इट रन इट फॉर अ कपल ऑफ इयर्स यू नो सो दोर मैंशनड हाई पेइंग सैलरी एट बी सी जी वॉज थॉरली डेसिमेटेड वो सब साफ कर दिया अच्छे से and like rajat you know also we didn't like look for funding until like fairly late in the game and we were like khich lenge khich lenge because also money was coming in right so you figured that at least you're not burning money every day uh, but ultimately uh, both of us realized that we've kind of taken it down a path where it doesn't scale uh, it could have turned into a lifestyle business like a proper lifestyle business but uh, we didn't want to create a lifestyle business at that point either he nor i so we were quite aligned on that and uh, we decided to shut it down i think it was we gave it a solid 2 years jitna bhi ho sakta tha like we'd gone down every rabbit hole every nook corner explored every possibility uh, but uske aage wo ja- jata nahi tha so uh, then so 2 years went there uh, so great learning experience i saw a lot of things learned a lot of things how they happen in the real world nothing to do with tech uh, uh, but theek uh, hai there are other things also i mean Uh, there's a real world also uh, which is which was very good experience um then in the meantime i discovered yoga uh so it turned out that i like actually really 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 like yoga and uh and then after some time all i was doing was uh just yoga and uh, i used to really enjoy teaching when i was at stanford mujhe bahut khushi milti thi padha ke so i started teaching a little bit on the side as well uh, so it was a very light week that i used to have a couple of hours of yoga in the morning uh, then study yoga uh, and then teach a little bit in the evening so uh, i was doing that for two years and uh, i used to rock climb also um yeah so uh, in the meantime rajat uh, you know was doing his thing at shimpli and uh, this uh happy accident with um with uh, the ayurveda hindi section happened and he kind of pulled me into this and said let's look at this um and we did and uh, i was still a little hesitant and but initially because uh, you know that life was kind of going well uh not not as like a you know not anybody's dream of like a success professionally successful life but a very happy life for sure um so he was like rock climbing band kar yoga band kar chal kaam karte hain <laughs> so i used to rock climb also uh, okay so chal bhai ye kaam kar like theek hai okay because this seemed really interesting right it was just like dude like this is like so far so you know 2016 mein kuch tha nahi vernacular wagaira like everybody was nobody was talking vernacular uh, in fact what was the thesis uh, with which you started like so you had ayurveda as a product category that was selling and two people who can uh, who have hindi as their first language so like what what was your thesis and what what did you see it becoming when you started up uh, yeah um, so the initial thesis was that uh, in you know if you look at uh, us uk and any other developed market um even there lot of people look for healthcare information 
um, when awareness and access is not really that much of a problem. Um, and your case in point, you know, WebMD, Healthline, Mayo Clinic, all of them getting like 100 to 200 million visitors a month. Um, and when you look at India, awareness is uh, not there. Um, access is not there. So our initial thesis was that if we create something like this, really, really good repository of healthcare information in Indian languages, then the demand will automatically come because people must be looking for this. And since there is nothing out there that is serving it, uh, it's not getting captured, it's not getting reflected anywhere. Um, so that was the initial thesis that, you know, given uh, the demand outside in English where uh, awareness and access are not a problem, in India it should, uh, uh, both of them are a huge problem. So if we create something like this, a lot of people would be looking for this uh, information, would be asking for that information. So you were essentially looking at building a content platform. So initially, we started with building a content platform. And as we, uh, you know, executed for first uh, 12 months, uh, it was very, very clear uh, that we'll have to do the access solutions as well, uh, beyond the awareness part, uh, the content part. So we were like, literally, people uh, were asking questions on our Facebook pages, on our uh, you know, on the email, on the, कहीं से उन्हें हमारा link मिल जाएगा, phone मिल जाएगा, they'll call आप कि मेरे पेट में दर्द है, मेरे बच्चे के 10 साल से ये problem चल रही है, क्या करें? It was like literally, and then the doctors who were writing content on our platform, they were getting calls and emails from all these people. So Manoj and I said, let's you know, let's build out a, a, a consultation platform so that people can ask questions and we can address them in a structured way because like this it's impossible for us to answer like you know 500 questions on facebook um and uh, youtube was not there but uh, when we started youtube channel same problem thousands and thousands of comments every day right all of them asking for an answer right away so it's it was uh, virtually impossible to handle all that load um so we started a consultation platform uh, people came in, asked the questions. We um, enrolled a number of doctors uh, on our marketplace, and we started offering free consults to our consumers. Um, so that uh, that was the initial part, and then you know, as we dug deeper and deeper and deeper, we realized that there is a lot more to be done uh, because you know doctors will write medicines which are not available locally or are, um, you know, are not uh, genuine. Uh, so how do you solve for that? Um, uh, how do you solve for revenue? Because nobody wants to pay online. Uh, and uh, especially if you go in these tier three areas, cities, rural areas. So I spent some bit of my time in Eastern UP um, trying to figure all of that out. And what, I, what we realize is that people go to quacks they don't pay, they don't get charged for consultation. They pay for medicine. Um, and then if, if something goes serious, they, they go to a Sarkari hospital. Again, in the government hospital, they don't pay for consult, they pay for medicine, primarily because medicines are not available in the uh, common dispensary and they're available outside. Uh, so um, 
once we realized that we said uh, we cannot charge for consults because we tried and we were not getting any conversion rate and we realized that this is the root behavior so how do you then uh, monetize on the pharma side of it um so did went through a turn of iterations to solve for it and now i think we have a model that uh, once we scale it out uh, will really really solve for the um healthcare access problem in bharat okay so uh, when you first started uh, the free consultation uh, you were paying the doctors who were doing this or like what how was the supply of it being handled uh so uh, in very very initial days we uh, basically tried to convince the doctors that hey you know these patients are um in very very remote areas and they don't have access to doctors so why don't you uh, provide us with some of your time to answer that okay. as a philanthropic uh, initiative as a philanthropic activity but very very quickly we realized it's not possible because we are not getting like 10 questions a day right we are getting like 1000 questions a day uh so uh, then we basically started paying doctors a fixed fee per consult so it's not a large amount uh, and doctors do it primarily for uh, some bit of extra cash and of course the fact that they are able to uh, create a positive impact uh, uh, in the rural part of india and also the third angle for them is that you know a lot of the doctors get to see a, a ton of variety of cases that they won't be able to see in their local clinic so from a uh, learning perspective from a social impact perspective and of course some bit of extra money as well so all of these combined kind of works for our doctors so and these doctors would be like typing out the answer in hindi uh, because i am assuming the questions would be coming in hindi so most of it is uh, done in english uh, so patients also write typically in english um, not pure hindi so hindi input keyboards are uh, you know not by default on on the phone so usually people kind of learn typing in english or they will be doing voice recording or video input so but tip, doctors typically will write english okay so uh, this could have also become like a kora you know how kora is like a user generated content uh, so yeah here kora uh, see the, the healthcare is a little different uh, overall um, so a there is a privacy issue so people who are asking something about their period issue or their some medical condition don't want it to be in public domain uh second if you have uh, a you know uh, cough problem and a 6 year old kid has a cough problem uh you know it's not that answer to your problem will directly apply to the answer of the other kids problem uh so and then third uh, people are not looking for some other person with experience to answer like in us you will see people will build communities around cancer and heart issues and diabetes and people will help each other out who have gone through it uh, so in in the very very initial days uh, our consultation was more like a community but the users will only ask doctor saab meri mujh ko ye problem hai mujhe iska jawab do 
so there was like in india the concept of community is not there in healthcare people are looking for a doctor to respond so matlab healthcare is very specific so you cannot have open consultations you can, you have to have privacy uh, you have to have one to one conversations so you cannot use it for my you, you cannot think of it as a ugc content yes this can be used by let's say uh, hospitals for training their uh, students uh, so uh, sorry colleges uh, medical colleges to train their students uh, but it's not kora uh, matlab it's it's different from that okay so uh, so you know you had uh, like a good, good amount of traction that you saw of people asking medical questions and then you started building the supply for it by paying doctors so how did that morph into what you are doing today uh, so i i think a lot of uh, we took a lot of steps in the middle um so uh, you know our uh mid last year uh, we basically said you know we have to monetize um uh, because n- nobody has really done any monetization in tier 2 tier 3 space and as and such our platform you had raised funding before that right so how did yeah. you raise funding without monetization strategy like what was your pitch to investors uh so for fundraise so our seed round essentially the story is what rajat told you so we said um look there is this huge population that's online um they are all looking for healthcare information they're looking for healthcare services and they don't have it because uh physically it's not present because uh, they're in not in tier 1 cities and uh, they don't have access to any information because they only consume content in their own mother tongue right so uh, if we can actually as a way of getting all these people on a platform we can create this huge content platform in indian languages uh, with very high quality credible content so there was some content which news websites were producing so they'd say things like uh, cancer ka ilaj neem se or ye juice pee lo to ho jayegi problem solved like they're literally publishing this and this is your top uh, news outlets i really don't know what editorial uh checks they have but it seems like as far as healthcare is concerned they don't uh, they couldn't care less so uh, there was there was clearly this white space there's room to do that uh, so the question really was and we were fairly upfront look we don't actually have a a, monet, a monetization strategy right now um but once you know initially we do this and we do this fast and we do this well uh, think of it like a land grab the you know the kind of old 2002 kind of a model let's get all these eyeballs then we'll figure out some way to uh, monetize it was literally like that because you know the bharat user in 2016 to us they were exactly at the spot where the rest of us were in 2005 or so or maybe even earlier because the web was just the internet was just starting out for them right so and the same unfortunately the same services that you built for uh, tier 1 didn't port over Uh, which is also what rajat was kind of alluding to earlier later on so you know that hypothesis of course uh, the questions we used to get were uh, those days yaar sachi mein are these guys online who's seen them who's heard of them so we used to give them date proxy data like uh, you know news hindi news websites are much bigger than english news websites so they were if you put them together 
there are millions and millions and millions of people on those uh, Hindi news websites like Bhaskar, Dainik Bhaskar, Dainik Jagaran, Matrabhumi, so on and so so forth, right? Uh, so we're like, look, these people are online. They are reading, right? And that what what else are you going to do on a news website, right? So uh, video uh, wasn't that big at the time. Um, so uh, it it was a very very difficult uh, fund. I mean, I don't. I think I guess every fundraiser is a little difficult, but uh, I think we probably uh, spoke with over 150 people before. Uh, the first couple of people came on board. So the the pitch to these people was that you're building a WebMD in local language. Like that yeah. was your pitch. Okay. Kind of. And you're saying, look, it's in local languages. So there were questions like, "Yeh online hai bhi nahi hai. Hai to healthcare ki padenge nahi padenge." And what if a WebMD comes in someday and decides to convert all its content into Hindi? Uh, so there were all those questions, and you answer those uh, to the best of your ability, but. Uh, it it really was hard to get angels on board initially uh, until uh, the first three, so Alok Mittal, uh, Rajan Anandan and Mohit Satyanand were the three who were the first three to back us. And then once these three guys were there, the round filled up very, very rapidly. Um, so kind of, you know, like the standard leader follower kind of a, a, a experience. Um, so uh, those hundred, I mean, I kind of said it in, you know, in the passing, we spoke with 150 people before these three guys came on board. Um, but, um, you know, those hundred, that journey of that 150 conversations is uh, filled with pain. It's a, <laughs> it's a very suffer hai wo. 150 conversations of hearing no. And uh, for multiple reasons, you know, there is, there is this every entrepreneur who's been who's heard no from an investor will lament that the investor doesn't quite understand this that but you know i i used to always say to rajat jab uh, like i always felt like the fundraise wala jo process and i feel like it's kind of like dating you know you meet a lot of people you may seem attracted to some not to others you'll date a little then it'll fizzle out but in the end you just need one to say yes right yeah. Do you think uh, uh, they backed the idea or they backed the team? Uh, I think the first three uh, backed, uh, I mean, uh, backed the team. Uh, please, if you do speak with them someday, do ask them. I guess we didn't ever ask them. <laughs> but uh, they backed the team. They loved the space that we were in. But they had faith in us is what I would, uh, I mean, I'm trying to not sound like an arrogant prick. But uh, I believe they thought that uh, we were committed to what uh, we were uh, the problem we were presenting to solving it and uh, they liked the space we were in it was a huge space white space it was a huge need um, and we had the early mo- mover advantage uh, so to them it made sense even though we didn't know the exact monetizing solution they kind of believe that uh, we'll we'll find a way and um, when was the angel round done like 2017 okay and then pretty quickly you did your series a also so uh, so yeah. by the time you were in series a was it the same pitch like webmd for bharat uh yeah it's the difference was that i think when we were raised our seed i don't remember very well but i think we were doing 10000 a day uh, visitors and i think by the time we were raising our series a we were doing 300000 a day within 10 months from the seed so the graph was very, very positively pointing north. Uh, and that hypothesis was bearing out, you know. Uh, and it seemed at that point that it north and that this is a huge opportunity to actually become the platform 
to seek healthcare uh, for Bharat. So that was kind of the vision that we had, and we shared with investors, and some of them saw it similarly. How, so how I, does uh, WebMD make money? Like, do they serve ads, or what is their monetization? Primarily ads, uh, but uh, less consumer facing, more professional. So they have a consumer facing product, and then they have a professional uh, one for medical professionals. So they kind of become like a digital MR and they make a lot of money through those. Of course, there are there is a lot of there's a lot of ad money in uh, in campaigns that they do for consumers as well. Like Johnson and Johnson will do a campaign, for example, right? So there is money there as well. Uh, but India, me, wo ad rates utne mazedar nahi hai. Um, did you also experiment ads? Like, did you speak to pharma companies to see if that is a viable way to monetize? Um, so we we didn't do that initially because we were just like head down and focused on growing, growing, growing. Uh, now we're beginning to do that, but uh, you know, so the uh, advertising and marketing, quote unquote, is not allowed for your prescription products. Uh, for OTC, it's allowed. OTC is your over the counter for which you don't need a prescription. Uh, so your let's say your lozenges, your co- for cough syrup you can't something that's prescribed, but for lozenges you can, so on and so forth. So we're beginning to do that now. Uh, of course, you know the ad rates take a, are a fact are less by a factor when you come from the US to India, and then when you go from English to Indian languages, they're again less by a big factor. So, so what what are you now? Like, are you still WebMD for Bharat, or you know, how would you describe yourself? No, no, no. We are we are we are we are a, uh, like so so we've then evolved like Rajat was beginning to say earlier. So then you know the. The, let, let me just take you through the steps and it'll become clear where we are and why we became that. So people be, began uh, wanting to speak with the doctors who were creating that content with us. Right? So this, and by this point, millions of people were coming on our platform. And it just, you know, there was this almost desperation to speak with a doctor because, you know, there is a genuine lack of access to uh uh, to doctors and medical infrastructure uh, where our audience comes from. Um, so we started connecting people with these doctors and soon, you know, there were thousands and thousands of these conversations coming in. So it was a very rudimentary product. At that point, teleconsultation was still in the gray area. So uh, neither we nor the doctors knew what the right approach here was uh, legally. Uh, there was nothing in it. It wasn't illegal, but there wasn't anything that said, this is okay to do, right? which is not the case now. So now there is these telemedicine practice guidelines which say it's absolutely kosher to do that, and which is why you see a boost in telemedicine. Uh, but 2018 or 2019, early 2019-ish, when we were doing this, nothing um, so It was like a WhatsApp kind of an interface where people would... That's exactly what it was. Um, yeah, but this was free for the users. You were not no, uh, we were, monetizing. No, we weren't charging. Um, and that thing has continued to scale as we, uh, you know, traffic has continued to increase. So today about 25 million people come on our uh, website another 25 million people we reach on social media, right? So that's a monthly reach of about 50 million people, uh, about a million of those people request us, uh, for a conversation with a doctor and because it's free, we're able to service about a hundred thousand a month. Um, and uh, so then, you know, the next question comes up. So, you know, Rajat went and did a couple of camps as well in rural areas just to see, uh, you know, what uh, what life, w- what the medical experience there is. The, the health-seeking uh, 
the health seeking behavior there is so uh, a thing that we found there was that people were very happy to speak with doctors over the phone uh, through video chat uh, but then the common very common refrain was uh, but sir aap medicine bhi le aate to acha rehta i think rajat can tell you more about those camps if you want to dig deeper into the experience there uh has rajat you tell us like h- how that evolution happened yeah uh, so basically um, we weren't we weren't actually aware of the problem related to medical supply chain or medicine supply chain in rural areas so uh, when we sat down with these people living in the villages we said uh, so why don't you ask this chemist he'll bring that medicine he said ki you know Uh, the doctor here is a jhola cha uh, and this chemist also adi dawaiya is ki you know they are not legitimate um and um, this guy goes to the sarkari hospital and because his chacha works there he gets the right medicine there otherwise no one else is able to get the medicine from the sarkari hospital hmm 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 then we dug in uh, deeper with few of the chemists and what we realized is that in uh, especially in uh, uh, up uh, where i spent a lot of time and, and bihar also similar behavior um, every uh, you know 5 10 villages there is a different pharmaceutical company operating there so somebody has uh, partnered with the local chola chap doctors uh, and the 5 10 chemist over there um in those uh, that cluster of villages per se and they have uh, gotten some medicine manufactured and um, uh, which is very easy to do in india um and uh, those medicines are very very local um and they are enjoying like 50 60 70% ma- ma- margins and uh, they are generics in uh, general but quality is very very poor um so uh, to maximize the margin they keep the quality extremely poor and the problem in india is that uh, we have become aware of the generics but the problem is that we haven't really instituted a quality check on the generics so a uh, same salt medicine there are like 10000 different brands and their quality can be 1 to 100 um uh, and uh, you know anything below 50 not even effective for the human body and there are bunch of those medicines that are out there in the market um so uh now uh, the challenge was that how do you connect these patients with an online doctor while fulfilling the medicine requirements um at the same time so what we have done now um and it's been you know lots of back and back and forth so Uh, earlier what we did was we'll give them a parcha with uh, the salt name in it and we'll encourage them to buy it locally wherever uh, at the chemist uh, that again had the same problem of effectiveness of medicine and all that um then the second thing we did was we removed the salt name and we said ki why not we supply you the medicine um and we'll ship it from our local from our warehouse in delhi in noida now that that works well for some portion of the customers and not the other portion of the customer so uh, what happens is if you have a, a skin issue or a sexual issue or a you know um, something that is more long term or it can wait for few days 
people the medicine will reach them in 3 4 5 days depending on where they are typically in tier 3 city it takes 5 days to get the product delivered uh via courier companies so uh, but in case of acute ki bacche ke kaan mein dard hai um and um, you can't wait for 5 days right so uh, what we have done now is ki uh, for the earlier part of the problem we continue to shift from our warehouse and for the latter type of uh, medicines we have started partnering with local chemists and what we do is uh, in, in uh, when we partner with a local chemist we give uh, give them certain pin codes that they will deliver to and at the same time we ask them to carry uh, a, a roughly 100 120 medicines that are, that will be mostly prescribed in such acute cases we given we already know what kind of issues come typically from that area given that we have that data set data set so we will give them those medicines to carry so that a the quality is guaranteed b the fulfillment is guaranteed um and see the customer knows where which particular chemist to go to to get that medicine and uh, if the chemist cannot deliver uh, otherwise chemist is delivering at home and of course the medicine gets to the customer within few hours versus 5 to 7 days so uh, that is uh, it's still you know early days we have around uh, uh, i think uh, 40ish chemist partners across 30 cities 25 30 25 30 cities uh, in up and delhi uh, ncr area um and these cities are like you know lakhimpur sitapur gonda uh, aligarh merat hathras matlab tier 2 tier 3 level cities um and the goal is to get to a rural level where you know every 15 kilometers there is some chemist shop where they can go and uh, get the medicine um once we solve for that with then we'll of course go ahead and uh, try to replicate the model across india uh, and on, also on the lab side we have done the similar types of partnerships with 35 different labs which allows pickups in roughly 70 cities uh, of similar tier 2 tier 3 nature uh, so that's that's what we are doing on that end so uh, yeah if i can like summarize my understanding of your business so you have uh, consultation as a uh, lead generation engine through which uh, you have uh, these people in uh, tier 3 uh, and lower areas who have uh, problems and uh, you uh, monetize the solution to those specific problems uh, by offering uh, lab tests or uh, delivering medication yeah so just that uh, there's one step before that which is that all the content so we create a lot of healthcare content remember we said the primary problem we started solving was the lack of awareness so the content is the lead gen and then we take them into the consultation funnel okay but consultation is also free so that's that's like a yeah. yes, next next step of the lead gen process in a way okay yeah yeah so what kind of uh, conversion do you see like uh, for every 100 people who go through a consultation how many actually uh, spend money uh... so uh, roughly uh, 20 25% of consultations um, lead to an order uh, we of course have the challenge of uh, delivery because again we don't have 
you know, Canvas partners across the board. Uh, so there's a there's a big drop off uh, there uh, there as well, um, which I don't want to get to get into in this particular conversation. Uh, but I but but uh, you know if you look at it from a um, last six month journey perspective, um, that same number has improved uh, multiple fold, um, and part of the reason I believe is because of the trust we have developed with the customer. So earlier, you know, when the customer used to consult and they'll get this prescription and, uh, you know, will uh, fulfill the order, the customer was like, yaar, inka kuch, uh, aur purpose to nahi hai. Well, these people take time to develop trust. But as they, you know, they're getting consultation, they're getting medicines delivered, they're getting cured, they see ki local medicine aajati hai, immediate aajati hai. So they're like, yaar, and that's one of the that's very hard for them to get away from so uh, slowly you know the conversion rates used to be two percent um for, from consultation to order and now it's like more than 10x of that number and we believe that you know rest of the 75 percent people who don't order uh, will also order um, because uh, they have a problem that's why they were asking right beyond campus is a production of the podium.in powered by career launcher if you like this show then we are sure that you will love our other shows on subjects like entrepreneurship marketing books and drama Check out the podium.in for a complete list of all our shows.